My name is Kim Rothwell, and this is The Return to Embodiment. In this conversation, I'm speaking with Amaryllis Vasquez. Amaryllis is a Puerto Rican dance movement therapist, and she has a postdoctoral degree in play therapy and is a candidate for a doctorate in transpersonal psychology with a concentration in consciousness and creative studies. She was recognized as the outstanding professional by the EDTA in 2021. Amaryllis works in private practice in Puerto Rico, and she has opened a center called Souls in Motion, where she offers creative arts therapies and serves the population on the island. She's fully committed to advocating the use of arts, and in particular dance movement therapy, to help others in the transformative process of healing. In our conversation, Amaryllis reflects back on her development as a dance movement therapist. She talks about trauma, ecological consciousness, and spiritual transformation. I'm Kim Rothwell, and this is The Return to Embodiment. This is the center. So uh, this is where I do my therapy sessions, and we might have meetings of the Puerto Rico chapter here um so it's a little bit bigger but I can't bring the camera with me to show you but there's a room behind that which has play therapy sand tray therapy stuff because I'm also certified as a play therapist and then I have an office in front of me which is my office what a beautiful space you have yeah so I have curtains because there's um mirrors behind that the intention is, you know, that we not to be hyper-focused on seeing ourselves in mirrors and at the same time, how people feel uncomfortable seeing themselves with mirrors. So it's the intention to have both happening in this space. So anyway. Yeah, so you can, you can keep the mirrors hidden if you want people to let go of that sense and then mm-hmm. you can also open it if you want them to see themselves and practice that. Yes. Well, it's so nice to see you. I was thinking back. Do you remember where we first met, Amaryllis? You were in Charlotte's class, right? I was in Charlotte's class, yes. Yeah. Um, so that was two years before me. I do want to acknowledge our beloved Charla, uh, who connected us. Yeah, Charlotte and I were BFS in, and we lived in the same building when we started the program. Our relationship has been beautiful to to hold on to and I I call her I'm like you're like my publicist <laughs> I tell her sometimes because she roots for me in so many ways and so very unexpected because she her heart is so open that she does it and you're not noticing that in the background she's doing something for you her mindset is there holding the space with you I think we started in 2001 yeah we're the class of 2001 with Nancy Thompson Sharla um who else is from there Sang. Sang. Some um, of my favorite people. Dejan is there. <laughs> yeah. So I was in the crew with Wilmarie. Um, Irene and me were the three Puerto Ricans in the classroom. There's three of us, which is really odd. It's like three Puerto Ricans in the same space. So go figure. Yeah, in a class of how many? We were 16. That's a really high percentage. 
Yeah. So it was a very beautiful cohort. I feel like my cohort was awesome because we had people from Egypt, Taiwan, Korea. We had African-Americans. We had Latinas. We had um, LGBTQT representation and we had males, but we also had um, Susan. I think it was Susan Mary. She was an older age female who decided to come back to study and she was doing a master's degree with us and she was like the mom of all of us. Sounds like such a rich experience to have so many cultures and life experiences coming together. Mm -hmm. It was and the fact that it was so multicultural made it even more um, of a challenge but of that brought that big awareness because we were there's three Latins in the room we spoke Spanish and it was very difficult not to dive in speaking our language. And we would have, I mean, literally in the middle of the class or something, one of our classmates would say, girls, what are you saying? Can you speak in English? Because we don't understand. And they would get really mad. And we, there was a moment where we had that confrontation because of the language, because they weren't chatting about anybody. We were chatting about stuff that we knew was going on with us, but the perception that that others might have that they felt that they were excluded from the conversation and they were not in the conversation. So people would feel very uncomfortable and we would be called out on it. It was a learning curve for us to understand how the other people might perceive the situation. But then again, we would say, well, no, we would not do that. <laughs> we would probably say it to your face if we have something to say. And also it seems to me that in the educational process, bringing bringing the learning into your mother tongue would be really important for you to have like what a gift to have two other Latinas with whom you can take this ethical learning that is restricted to English mm -hmm. and bridge it into the language that you're going to be using clinically right, right. Like, so much of what I'm, what I remember of going through the dance therapy program was figuring out how to translate things from the world of dance into the psychological world or from my body mm -hmm. into some kind of intervention application. I was continually doing a translation process, a communication process, cross-culturally. Mm -hmm. It's true. It was really nice to have that. But then again, we had other cultures like Peishan was from Taiwanese and we had um, Sang who was Korean and those are different languages in the room. And then we had Nancy who was also from Egypt. And it's like, okay, so there's all these people in the room that have different cultures and they're speaking and trying to assimilate this information on their own. And how does that mean? What does that word mean in my culture? Oh, okay. What do you mean? And we would have to bring it in the body, explain it through the body and how that also was a bridge. It was really rich in every level because it was also seeing the perceptions of the body in the room and, and not only the perceptions of the body, then it was the the interconnections that we could find between the cultures and also the, the disconnections, which are particular of each culture. I thought it was brilliant. Right. So even when you start to bring, like step back into the actual language of the body, mm -hmm. there are cultural, um, there are cultural constraints mm 
on how bodies are allowed to be in the world. Mm-hmm. And those are different. Yeah, and those exactly. may, may be misinterpreted so exactly. easily. Um, it reminds me a lot of the body prejudice the the projections that we can put on other people in terms of their movement uh-huh. based on our body prejudice. Oh, if I was moving that way, that would mean something about me, but that does not necessarily it mean about the other. About the other person. It's more of a query, an invitation to check something out or check your own prejudice. Mm-hmm. Okay, so are we started? <laughs> Yeah, I love it. We've already kind of started in the richness, but how is embodiment to you, Emeralis? Como es incorporar, se, se, um, como es será incorporada? Incorporada? Ajá, como se incorpora el cuerpo? Incorporar este, los cuerpos. Esta, esta, incorporating your body, incorporating the sense of connecting to your embodiment, right? So, is that um, the best Spanish word for it? Because that's the thing. There's no, the translations are really tricky. Yeah. So, embodiment, um, the words that's being used is acorporar, which is add like a cuerpo, which is add on to the body, um, acorporar, but we've had these, these talks about embodiment, what does it mean in Spanish, and it's a very difficult way of translating it, and so we say it's um, conectando el cuerpo, este, interconectando el cuerpo, acuerpando, las cuerpas, because now there's this other thing that there's multiple body representations, right? Also because of the fact that the LGBTQ community. So we're adding las cuerpas. It's not the body as in from a, from a perspective of the male masculinity version, but it's open to cuerpos, cuerpes with the E. So all of these type of things are, are in the conversation. Going back to what embodiment is for me um, or how I've experienced embodiment, I would say that embodiment for me is becoming aware of all of the possibilities of humanness it's incorporating all of the of the spheres and spaces that we occupy as in our human experience and that includes the the body it includes the mind it includes the spirit it includes the emotion it includes nature so it's it's this this interdimensional space where all parts of me come together I would say that is my way of embodying and of understanding embodiment. And why do I believe it's interdimensional? Because I believe that sometimes we embody different parts of us in different aspects and phases of our lives. And those might be moments in which we are focused in those areas because either we're in a growing space in those areas or whether we're maturing, expanding, or we're even probably dismantling a lot of social constructs and cultural beliefs that are not affined to who we are or where we are in our lives. So um, when I work with my clients, it's a lot of finding their embodiment, their version of their embodiment, but also where they are in their process of embodying all parts of who they are. Um, so. Ooh, I really like that. I like that what you're talking about is um, <clears throat> embodiment as something that actually has a developmental trajectory 
mm-hmm. that changes over time and that is multi-layered in terms of the bodies that exist you're facilitating for someone else their own defining process of how to be human how to live how to thrive yeah one of the things that's interesting for me is that we we as professionals come through theory and practice right we learn theories we learn practices and then how do we bring and translate all of that information that we've learned and then we come into the real world and then it's like, yes, I know Freud, I know Jung, I know um, uh, Marion Chase, I know Trudy Shoup, I know Eshpinak, I know all of these things. But then who am I within that context as a professional? How do all of these theories come into the world and apply to people, real people going through real situations, bodies in movement, bodies in growth? Bodies in, in deterior mode, right? Because our bodies are entities of movement, entities of growth, but at the same time, they are also deteriorating in time. There is a lapsus of how our bodies move from um, possibilities of movement, which also have to do possibilities of our growth mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, right? And not only do we see that in our experience, but we even see that in our environment outside, how our environment changes constantly. So when I'm working with clients, especially when I'm doing the body scan, I love this, which is the body scan that they go and they sense their body. And I usually do it in the mapping, which is they trace their body on the piece of paper. And then I induce them in sort of a meditative state where they go and they dive into that interest the interception part, interceptor, inter, it's very difficult for me to say uh-huh, interceptive experience. Mm-hmm. And then, so it's this whole idea of the body memory of where do I, do my feelings lie? Where, where, if, if my anger lives in my body, where does it live? You know? And so when you start to do this so many times with clients over and over and over, and you start to see that none of these maps are the same, they're all different, that the the experiences of your, every individual is so unique and the way that they interact with their emotions is so unique. You understand that our humanness is beautiful because of its multiplicity, because it's the variety of what it brings, but also that these experiences are not foreign to any of us, that all of us are immersed in some level or the other within these, these experiences of the body. Right. I find it beautiful and also very complex and simple at the same time that working with the body, working with embodying these parts of ourselves is is bringing forth more of our authentic selves into the room. It's seeing more of me coming together, experiencing and giving myself to take that conscious awareness into the present moment and how it it speaks to me and I speak to it sort of. I love how your brain works. I'm tracking with you. One thing, if if we go back, Mm -hmm. is that you referenced the deterioration, Mm -hmm. which was something that struck me actually when you were talking about embodiment. Mm -hmm. Um, This idea of cycles, cycles that we see in nature, if we're talking about the seasons, or we just talk about how the world decays Mm -hmm. and yet to work with the body is to work with its limitation Mm 
mm-hmm. is to befriend the fact that age is the is the trajectory for all of us for those of us lucky to stay here stay here mm-hmm. <laughs> aging and beginning to deteriorate on some level is part of what happens and it feels very meaningful to me you also did this when you talked about the mother in your cohort to remind us of aging as part of the understanding of embodiment and let's recognize that when we see it in the natural world we see it in the world around us in the trees or in the animals or we are this is also us that is going through these cycles um so that was really really beautiful to me and then when you do this particular exercise with your clients you're simultaneously experiencing how unique each person is mm-hmm. like their imagery the particularity of how something arises and is experienced and then is expressed unlike anyone else and there are common threads there are places of universality there are elements that are human in what you're saying it feels like embodiment once again is this holding of both of those things this vast unpredictable Mm-hmm. uncontrollable creative place of phenomena arising and also here are some elements that are threads that are commonalities that are places where there's resonance um so i'm having this sense of how robust mm-hmm. your um definition of embodiment is i dive a lot and maybe in the t- deterioration mainly not because we are deteriorating, but but from a standpoint that is the transformative space. My Marilu says, you're a therapist that you're not afraid of diving with your clients into their dark space. And not everybody goes into the dark, into those muddled, uncomfortable um, situations because people are afraid of working deep into the trauma because the fear of being re-traumatizing people. The fact that you can go there with your clients and hold that space is very particular the way that you work and hearing the way that you're sort of mirroring back what we're speaking about. Um, when I, I also speak of that, that conjunction of aging, it's also not only the conjunction of aging, is a conjunction of development in the sense that emotionally we come into spaces that what we knew and operated in a way that function no longer functions because what we used to perceive that was accurate is no longer there but that is a a point of deterioration we are dismantling something it's breaking it's becoming it's it's giving a space for something that no longer has relevance in our definition as a human and it has no longer any resonance with ourselves and our bodies ourselves and how we define ourselves and that is a very difficult place to be in it's very uncomfortable it's 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 scary um and it's profound because it's shaking the very core of things that we understand that are who we are and the body the body does it all the time when we have clients that are entering into panic attacks 
it's an accumulation of so many things that are not working that the body is saying, hey, listen, stop, pay attention. This is not working. There's too much going on. And, and the body is always reminding us there's change going on. There's something here that's not being assimilated. There's something that's off. The body is always giving us information. Emotions are a center of information. That's not right or wrong, but forms of receiving information, not only of the world, but of ourselves. And this continual infinite relationship of multiple possibilities of who I, I bring to the room and how the room affects the way that I come into the space is, is constantly occurring but it becomes very relevant in our work when we see clients that what they understand is no longer serving and where they are and how they're coming into the space or how the world is is being assimilated by them is no longer making sense finding bridges for them to translate that understanding into something that's coherent and makes sense is I think it's an art in itself this is why I'm so passionate about dance movement therapy this is why I I love body-centered therapies because we are all beings and narratives encapsulated in this vehicle that we're in these hands this face this this is how I come into the world and I come into being to you and this is how you come into being to me and the bits and pieces that make you your voice your hair your face your skin your mind the way that you receive the way that you give is is so telling and um and in the world that we're living, living, especially because of the COVID and because of all these things that have been, that have kind of made all of our boundaries become sort of more permeable and more, the fact that we speak to humanness is for me uh, a very deep point of reference of where we are in this timeline of human consciousness because of the fact that we're creating more divisions and categorizations of who we are, but we can only do that for so long where we become so fragmented. And then the point of return is to come to this conversation piece of our humanness. That in the end, what we're trying to understand out there is about trying to understand all the pieces of who we are. And that there is space for all of these dimensions of who we are to come into the room and to speak to us and to speak and operate. And the more we are entwined, in tuned, and connected to, to them, the more our voices show up. I've had beautiful experiences with males. Now the male population has this connection with the, the body, but in terms of form, power, and strength, form because of muscularity and presence and form, but there is another masculinity which is connected to the expressive part of the body, which is how do I feel? How do I sense? who I am beyond just the way that my body frame is. And that space for me is a space where there's an, a greater expansion of possibilities when we're there. I'm a female. I come from a Latin culture, which is there's machismo. There is um, a lot of to toxic masculinity. There's a lot of domestic violence. I mean, it's all over the world, but 
my upbringing brings that into my own versions and interrelationships with the male population. So when I'm, I'm seeing clients, adolescents, male adults, and then I'm seeing females, and I see how the bodies are coming into the room, I find it fascinating that when we speak to this felt sense of the body, males, when they finally get it, it's like an aha that just opens like this space that was contained and they did not know how to go there. As we continue to explore more of this embodiment of all of the possibilities that we are, including the finite parts of what we are, that they are also, and that when we access a space of one of these areas, then there's growth and expansion and awareness that goes there. And there's also a point of reconfigurating that embodiment. It's like we add on something new and it reconfigures the way that I show up into the room. Once we go there, you can't go back because it's come up into the surface. Can I just pause you for go a ahead, second? Go ahead. I want to weave back to mm-hmm. what you were saying about the deterioration not being only or solely a, an acknowledgement of um, inherent cycles within nature of which humans are part, mm-hmm. but also as an understanding of transformation, mm-hmm. engaging with the unknown, the inaccessed, the shadow, the places that are forbidden, which comes up with what you're talking about, about the men, the males that you're working with for whom they may have been raised in such a way that accessing their body or experiencing their emotions, being empowered to put words to them were culturally denied. It wasn't tended to, it wasn't understood. It was, uh, it was exiled or ignored. And so you're building a spaces of invitation. When you talked about the aha moment that the men experience, your face kind of lit up like you have witnessed hmm. access unfold. And then you went on to say, this access is actually infinite. Like there isn't a point at which you're like, oh yeah, you already know yourself enough so that there's really nothing interesting left. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, we, we get to continue through a process through our lives of moving from structures and understandings that worked at one time. And as we develop their they're reworked and they're shaped differently so that they can expand to fit our imagination, our bodies, our connections to ourselves in the world. You are bringing this expansiveness by starting at this tender particularity, which is your face, your hands, your gut, your feelings um, as an access point for what can be, and this is my word, dismantling of oppressive systems that have kept people Mm -hmm. in cycles of suffering or harm. Yeah. 
Can we talk a little bit about how you came to this understanding of embodiment? Mm. Because I'm curious about how this understanding of embodiment that includes deterioration, disorganization, unknown, and the discomfort of that mm-hmm. is something that you prioritize in the conversation. So I think I would have to take it even further from starting my DMT program and take it into experiences that I had personal. You know, I, I met this, a therapist also have had traumas and experiences. So when I was 20 years old, I went to a traumatic experience, which was very violent in the fact that I was um, tied down and there was a pillow case was put in my head. That happened when I was 20. I come from a big family. There's seven of us in total. Um, with my mom and my dad, but I'm the only girl, the rest are males. So it's a big family. And we all have all been encountering similar things, but we're all very different in our mindset. And so I was very intrigued with that. That's the first thing that draws me into psychology. And then the other thing is that I used to be that kid that people would sit and tell you everything without you asking. For some reason, people would sit and would talk to me. So then that also brings me to that experience when I was 20 years old. And then I had what we call PTSD. I had the pi- hypervigilant experience. I would hear sounds and nobody else would hear, but they were real. My senses were so hypered up because of that experience that how was I inhabiting my body was different. There's too much information coming in that was affecting the way that I could sense and feel my body. I also have a very spiritual background. My mom, she had an outer body experience because she had, she had a miscarriage and she died in the table. And um, for those brief seconds, she had an experience that when she comes out of it and she's looking at her life, she starts to read books about outer body experiences, the body, the different dimensions. And so all these things have been, of course, my background and what has also affected my worldview, right? My worldview is very resonant to my narrative and my experience. You're talking about life experiences Mm -hmm. that informed how you came to the program Mm -hmm. that's right before I went to the program I was robbed at knife point Mm -hmm. and um I acquired I didn't acquire PTSD Mm -hmm. but I had acute stress disorder for me I was so paranoid and hypervigilant and I was consumed in my body mm-hmm. with, um, with it such that my perception of things became um, so colored with fear and anxiety that I couldn't tell what was safe anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, it actually wasn't until I had a spiritual experience where someone prayed for me. Mm-hmm that I began to experience relief. Um, And then I sought therapy and in therapy, I was having all of these physiological responses when I would talk about it Mm -hmm. and those were not being acknowledged at all. I was like, but my heart's pounding and I'm starting to sweat. You're asking me to tell this story and you're not asking me what my body's saying right now. Mm -hmm. I'm alone in this again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because you're asking me to talk about this but 
I don't know what to do with all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I started dancing and found the program myself and began to understand and have so much love for how my body Mm -hmm. moved me through something that was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so... Yeah, so I find it beautiful, even in what you're saying, because I can resonate with so many pieces of it, especially with um, how the spiritual comes into these spaces, right? And this conversation of the the more, that moreness that some of us might sort of not go there because of all these negative conjunctions related to religion. But there is space, that space of more. And some of these spaces are not seen, they're felt. And this is where the body is so important because this is where we have a direct contact with that information. It goes through us. It goes through us. That takes me into psychology. Psychology brings me then to this this trauma experience, brings me into another experience of the body. And then when I would have conversations, um, with individuals, where's the body in these in these pieces? Why? Isn't anybody speaking to this? I knew that when I was sad, when I was angry, when something was happening in the family, I closed the door in my room and I would dance. So the arts for me were everything where I would just fuel and release a lot of what was going on. So when I come into my bachelor's degree and I'm going through this experience of understanding disorders and diagnosis and symptomology I'm like but this this, there's so many of these descriptors that are in the body where is the body being attended why do we keep saying that the mind and body is split but wait a second I'm not a walking head this is connected to this and I tell it what it does and it tells me and we speak to each other it's not this only this there's something here I respect everybody's um process because there's space for everything but I didn't want to be a clinical psychologist because everybody was doing that hey I'm the only girl among four boys I was already different in the room so I was always going the other way in the space I stumbled into something called psychovalet which is a, a modality that exists in Cuba And it's a therapist that created this with ballet dancers and she does these interventions. And that was already starting in Puerto Rico. That was in 1999. So I was intrigued. And then I spoke with her and then I did a Google search and I found that dancement therapy existed. The other influence that I have is that Eileen Kohlberg was a professor that I had in my university. And she was talking about things that people don't talk about. She was talking about electromagnetic theory. She was talking about body-censored therapies. She was talking about alternative therapies. And she was one of those teachers in university, you know, uh, campus catedraticos that um, was speaking to things that most of her peers were like, what are you talking about? We don't talk about those things here. She was like the oddball in the room. So I went to her courses and she ended up being the therapist that I contacted when this trauma hit me, this experience. And I did narrative therapy. I did writing therapy with her. I did, of course, energy work with her. There was a home invasion. Yes. You were alone. I was alone. 
and you were tied up and they robbed the home. Yes, they robbed. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they knew everything. They knew that my parents were out of town. They knew that I had a boyfriend. They knew that I, I, that I didn't stay there because I used to, um, how do you call that? When you live in a dorm. Mm -hmm. So they knew that I wasn't supposed to be there. There's a moment in the, in, in the whole story where I'm told that they're going to stay with me and they're going to pay ransom for my head because they thought it was going to be more money. Your senses become so hyper-focused because I'm blindfolded. So I could distinguish three different types of footings. Yes. Steps. So that's how fine auditory senses became. So, and the person that was behind me was, you would say that was a person that didn't know me because the other person would whisper. I could hear whispers telling him what to ask and what to tell me to the person that was behind me with the gun. In so there was someone who actually knew you. Yes. Until this day, we don't know who it was. We do believe that it might have been somebody of the family because they knew too many things. They knew everything. I mean, they knew that my parents were in New York. They knew it. It was even to the point that the police, uh, the, the police man, they thought I was in it, that I, that I was part of it. And of course, that's even traumatizing because the fact that you can believe that I would do this to myself is like, oh my God, that, that, that's how twisted anyone could believe that I am. And I'm like, no. This sounds like such an intense experience. Mm -hmm. It was. And, and as you even talk about it now, do you notice anything? Yeah, of course I get hyperventilated and I get very effusive about it. I do, because this was even processed in my DMT class. It showed up. I mean, I'm it happened sure. in, in, you know, because we have to experience, experience things with ourselves, within each other when we're doing the program. So this did show up. And the fact that I can speak to many levels of it is because I understand so many levels. I came out of it. So then I go into therapy with, with this therapist, um, Eileen, and I go through my process with her and I start dancing. I start going more. I start getting ready for my DMT program. I got into Columbia College. So I went to my first interview in Columbia. And when I came out and I walked my 12 blocks in Chicago are big blocks, especially for Puerto Ricans <laughs> walking. Are. They're such big blocks. Yes. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. And I was so elated and I felt like I was at home and Chicago felt like it was second nature to me. So my dad didn't want me to do this. And he was the one who ended up taking me to Chicago. And um, when I finished my interview, he went and he said, let's go have dinner because you're going to be part of this program. I know it. And so we celebrated that night and lo and behold, I was accepted in the program. There's a lot of people who interviewed for that particular program that year. Yes. So oh, yeah. Yeah. So your, uh, your family determined that you needed to leave the country because this experience was so intense. You had already been doing some work with the therapist mm -hmm. to Columbia. You went to the movements interview which is so fun yes. um Chris Larson was there Chris this is why I speak of him so much because I think Chris Larson was with me and up to this point I even get emotional speaking about him um has always been like my 
my guardian, my my mentor, my go-to person. Um, because I remember that there was a male in the room and I knew it was him because there's nobody that moves ex like him. And then when I was in the program and I'm going through all these things, these things are showing up. My traumas are coming into the room, but there's other things that are also happening with me, which is I'm doing meditation. I'm working with the spiritual part of myself. I'm also then experiencing a lot of things that have to do with the spiritual world. And so I then go into trans state experiences, which are also considered disassociative experiences in my um, developing years as a dancer therapist. And it was questioned whether I should continued or not the program. And Chris was the person who gave a name to something that was happening to me and nobody had been able to name it except that they were thinking that I was having a neurotic break or a psychotic break because, you know, there's a pattern. You see somebody who's been through trauma and who's experiencing and healing it and even moving through it in her course because that all, that, that didn't happen to me. That happened to all of us who were in the program. It was that deep. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know how everybody else's journey was, but my journey in Colombia was a very profound journey. And we would dive into conversations that were difficult to have because they were open to take us there. There was a lot of boundaries that were set and there was a lot of redirection that was given, but there was space to speak to it because it needed to be spoken. It was the only way you could grow and understand what it is to go through difficult experiences because that's what you're going to see when you're with clients. You're going to see it in the room. You're going to have clients that might be speaking to you and they're going to have a panic attack in your face in the moment, even in their first session. And you're not creating that and you're not invoking that or re-traumatizing that. It's just that the body is splurging. This is the other thing. When the psyche knows that there's a space, that there is a container available for these things to show up, it will find the route to show up. And it will not ask permission. It will say, this is a space. And this is the person, and this is where I feel comfortable, and I need you to see it. And it comes up. But then there was another dimension that was happening. There's another part of me that was also evolving. And it was that spiritual space that I also inhabit. And I can say it now. It took me years, years to finally say what I am saying today to you, Kim. It took me years to accept that this is a very big part of who I am. Because part of what you said earlier was mm -hmm. you had a huge problem with diagnosis mm -hmm. and having that be the only framework. Mm -hmm. You chafed against that. And part of the reason for that is because of what you just said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is this person fit enough to continue in the program was part of your story, mm -hmm. but it was a realm of the spiritual that Chris was able to name mm -hmm. in a way that wasn't fearful of what was going on. Mm -hmm. It was recognizing how, what you just said, how spirit, how healing impulse will inhabit spaces that are held to move us towards reintegration, towards healing. And a lot of times it looks like something we're not prepared for. 
It looks like exorcism. I will say it. I will call it. It does. It looks like exorcism. And why am I going to go there? Because I lived both extremes. I lived the process of the body releasing trauma, but I also lived experiences that were ecstatic, elated. They were experiences that had nothing to do with my trauma. They had to do with my imagination. They had to do with me going to places and seeing things and experiencing things in my body that were beautiful and were full of richness and, and colors and imagination and flying and sensing. When I started to have these trance, we can call it trance, ecstatic dance experiences, when we would go to let's sit down and talk, I never talk about, I never spoke of trauma. I was, I would speak of things that were beautiful. I would say, look, I just went through this experience, my body, I saw colors, I saw myself doing this, I was dancing, I was speaking to something and an experience in the room that nobody had experienced that. At least when I was in my program, in my cohort, I was speaking to things that nobody could understand because they could not go there. Until Chris speaks and says, this could be seen on a diagnostic level. It could be seen as disassociation, or it could be seen as a spiritual experience and you're having a trance state experience. So the other thing is I was the student who would have her sessions with her clients. And then sometimes I would be sick for a full week in my bed. And Chris would have to say, you need to learn to put boundaries and have a safety container of your space you're somatizing your clients, which could be your energy is open and you are integrating other people's energy into your body. It's energy or so it's something coming in and then I'm allowing it because I'm open. And so this would happen to me. And then it was a point where I had to even go to a doctor because I was having physical symptoms of things that were happening. I was having hives. I was having allergies. I was going through things. And I would go to the doctor and say, there's nothing here. There's nothing here. But psychologically, I wasn't having issues with anybody. I was in fights. I wasn't in trauma. It was my work, my body being in a room with people who had mental disorders and issues. I was in Michael Reese Hospital, which doesn't exist anymore in Chicago. It was um, uh double diagnosis psychiatric um, center. So the story ends that I learned through this process that my body is in the room, not only as me and Amarilis, me as a human being and as a person, is not only in the room, me as a theoretical understanding, professional practice DMT person, but it's also in the room as a sensitive, attuned, connected, interconnected being with other beings in the room. And so that also brings me in relationship to my environment, which is my relationship with mother nature and everything that changes or not changes with the environment. Again, if I am having all these changes and I'm open in this space of embodiment, it's not only happening with humans, it's also happening with my, my macro environment, which is Mother Earth. When I first began to work, I was working in foster care. Mm. And the 
what I now recognize as the vicarious trauma Mm -hmm. um, propelled me into a state of, I would say, depression. Mm -hmm. My peers or my coworkers, many of them didn't have a, an understanding of Mm-hmm. manifest or, or even being trauma aware. There wasn't, there wasn't, um, any consciousness around the ways in which we would talk about clients mm-hmm. actually perpetuating trauma within the bodies of the clinicians, mm-hmm. um, or being responsible about the ways in which we hold one another or expose one another to the more horrific mm-hmm. aspects of story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was completely open and unprepared. I remember also with Chris trying to move in such a way that I could form boundary or imagine boundary mm-hmm. around myself, um, that allowed some permeability so that I could sense into a situation, but would not overwhelm my Mm -hmm. system. Mm -hmm. So I'm really resonating with what you're saying. What I'm also hearing is that is once again, bringing me back to this invitation to observing the world and its cycles is when there's always both and at play, right? In there's, Mm -hmm. there is the deterioration And then there is the new life. Uh And in perhaps in my clinical experience, part of how I adapted Uh to work was to be like, where's the beauty? Where's the strength? Like fiercely looking for the new life, searching for the little element that was the hope or that was the um, resilience. Mm-hmm. evidenced under the trauma beyond the trauma energetically it's all there and what do we bring our attention to center on mm-hmm. 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 yeah um when when you were saying that it takes me into the transpersonal psychology world which I've been um actually my doctorate degree started in 2009 10 years later I left it because mind you, things happen on a personal level. I was dealing with my parents. And then 10 years later, I decide to take it back. So why do I go into the transpersonal? Again, goes back to, I didn't know what a trans state was. I didn't know what it was. I do understand what a disassociative state was because I had experienced my trauma during the process of my DMT program. I went through the healing process, all that stuff. But then being able to sense things in a way that feels so yummy. I don't know how to explain it to you because this is a very felt sense. And this is something that people, people need to encounter in their own way. This is very subjective. At one point when I was working at Mount Sinai Hospital in Chicago, you know, in among your colleagues, there's conversations and there's, you start to get a, a reputation and it's weird because like, you're like, where is this coming from? My director of the program was Michael Ruser. So he's no longer there, but, um, He's uh this is this male figure who was gonna be a priest, and then he doesn't become a priest because he becomes in love, and love is the main thing for him in relationship to religion, and so he becomes a psychologist. 
therapist and a play therapist. So I'm in a space with individuals who can speak to this other sides of me that I really didn't speak. There was a point in my DMT process that I also deteriorated in relationship in my relationship with DMT because my body was having issues. I was an understanding of what was going on. I didn't feel there was something psychological. I felt there was something outside of me that was affecting me and I didn't know how to manage it. I understood it was vicarious trauma, but I don't think it was even more because I was sensing things that, that were in spaces that had nothing to do with me. And it wasn't necessarily just somatic for me, at least it was my experience. And then when Chris spoke about trans states, I started reading about energies and all of these things. I stopped moving. I didn't want to do DMT. I didn't want to be in my body because I did not want to be construed as the crazy person in the room. I did not want to be the person who's having experiences that are out there that has no name and people are trying to name them for her and are trying to say it's trauma. And I'm saying, no, it's not trauma. I'm functional. I'm doing all these things, but I'm sensing things that are there that I do not know how to explain it to you, except what I'm saying. It's like, it's like you're asking people to just trust you, take, take what you're saying for what it is and not add more to layers to the storyline. And I wanted to stop moving, but you're a dance moon therapist. You're already in your body. <laughs> Once you're in it, I'm sorry to say, but as much as I want to run the other way and say, this is not what I'm doing. And my story is that it always brings me back and it's always there with me. And I cannot speak in any other way. And I've always said, dance moon therapy holds a space for an understanding of the human psyche and the humanness of what we are, that it still has not been able to convey. It does more than what it pretends to say that it does. <laughs> when we are bringing new students into the world of DMT, new beings into the world of DMT, I'm very sensitive and very, this is not a joke. This is not playing dance. I mean, I love dance, but this is just not for the sake of movement. You are tapping into so many more levels of understanding that are unknown to be named because movement is a present moment experience and because it is so subjective and it's a configuration of everything that you are. Past, present, is future in the room at the same time. It is not just the finger moving up and down. And so I stopped moving and then Again, my colleagues are saying, well, Amarilis, you have the weirdest caseloads in this milieu and you know, your clients have a lot of turnaround. What is it that you're doing? And I'm like, well, I sit, I speak of the body. I do a little bit of movement. I do play, I do all this. And so we're having caseloads and I'm even getting clients referrals from them of clients that they have peaked in their process and there's something that's not moving. And so I'm getting these clients. And then they start to see, well, Amarilis, can you see this client to determine whether this client is hallucinating or is this client having a spiritual awakening? And I was, what, I was 25 and people are asking me to understand this. And I would sit and have the conversation, why are you wanting me to do this? Well, because you have a point of view and the way that you do this is very different. I'm like, 
but I am unaware that I am embodying that <laughs> around me and people are perceiving that. Again, I am in the point where I am already a DMT. I know that this is my passion to work with kids and adolescents. I know my passion is to work with mental health, but I am saying this to that part of me. You do not exist. Nobody can see this. You are not doing this, but it's translating in my work. So one of my colleagues says this to me, Amarilis, I want to talk to you. And I'm like, okay, or we had used to have brilliant conversations. And he would say, you know what? I think there's something that I'm going to tell you and don't take it in a wrong way. He's Colombian. Again, he's from different culture. Latin Americans are very connected to these otherworldly conversations, these spiritual conversations. There's a very intricate in our upbringing. He says, there's a part of your work that you must focus on and attend because if you do not do so it will trickle it will kind of haunt you and come in the back door for you and you're gonna have to pay attention to it and I was like what are you talking about I think like, your spiritual side it's very there you have to address what you see you have to address the way that you speak to this this process of the spiritual because you are there you have to speak to that at one point in your life, you're going to have to deal with that because if not, it's going to deal with you because it was awake. This is like my, my, me not wanting to be a dancement therapist. It was there. I, I cannot deny it. And so that moved me into the transpersonal. I was in it. I think I stopped my PhD, not only because of the things that were happening around me on a personal level, but because I wasn't mature. I had not dismantled that disintegrated, deteriorated, <laughs> that part of me that um, did not conceive a space for this. It needed to deteriorate, it needed to dismantle, it needed to move out of my body, move out of my perception for me to come back to it. So in 2019, I came back to that PhD program in transpersonal psychology because I can no longer hide that the pieces of me that come into the room embody a very strong spiritual conjunction and denying that from my dancement therapy process is denying the container that I am for my clients and the process that, that intuitively is in the room with me. My thesis was called Nurtured by Nature. <laughs> And I brought it. Look, I, I looked for it. I'm like, oh my God, what was I doing? Oh, I love it. So and it says, nurtured by nature. And it says, it says, nurtured by nature, the application of the five element system from oriental medicine to dance movement therapy as a therapeutic diagnostic tool. And when I read the acknowledgments, you know, that you're supposed to dedicate this, and it says, finally, I give thanks to God, my internal guides, and the world at hand for being the backbone and base for my ongoing desire to learn and explore about life. I read that and I was like, oh, okay, I was there. I was already there at my 23, 24 years of age. I'm 43 now, but now I can assume what that means. Whereas before, I could not. Even in my thesis process, Stacy Hurst was my my was my advisor, 
And I was driving her nuts and I was driving Lenore Hervey nuts. And like, what are you trying to say? I'm like, I don't know, but I know I'm trying to say something. <laughs> and I cried and I'm like, I'm not Chinese. I know I'm not trying to do something and disrespect the culture that I very much enjoy and believe in. But there's something here. The body goes beyond the mind and the body. Then the, the world is part of it. The resonance that we have with what the earth is made of is very much embedded in us there's more to us and the only thing is this i need to say it somehow and that was my process and that was my finale <laughs> in that process of dancement therapy that speaks to me so much because a lot of what i'm hearing and i and this began from your definition was holding time as a context holding the historical trajectory of development, of disintegration, of rebirth. And that's what you're doing is kind of looking back on your own personal trajectory. But that's connected to the fact that you and I both started learning within this space when embodiment wasn't a, a word that people used. We we began our work in a climate that relegated spirituality to a shameful place mm -hmm. where the body itself was not invited into the clinical space. That was most of my early therapy. It wasn't until I saw a dance therapist that someone included the body into the clinical space for me. And so the culture at, and the dismantling that you're talking about is also a historical process of um, collective reimagining, collective relanguaging. Um, and during that time, when you're writing your thesis, what were the points of access that even talked about nature? You know, being nurtured by nature. I don't know if you've listened to any of my podcasts, but um, one of my my interview for this season mm -hmm. that I'm in right now was actually about an experience that I had in nature. I was improvising with the moss in this way that felt so intimate and um, re reconnected me to a sense which you spoke to. I think you were kind of like maybe just barely touching to it, but that <clears throat> nature or the world we inhabit has the potential to be that place of connection and belonging and holding of our interbeing, our interconnectedness mm -hmm. in a way that ushers us into a sense of all the layers of being. And so your thesis, <laughs> <laughs> Nurtured by Nature, uh -huh. was radical in that time. People, were, people would roll their eyes, quite honestly, if you started to talk about what you were talking about. So it makes sense that the language and the frameworks and even like the other connections that you were allowed to make at that time were limited. 
Yeah, thank you for mirroring that back because it, it's it kind of makes me feel like no wonder I felt like the odd bubble, like the odd <laughs> person in the room, because I myself was tapping into this embodiment of being that was different. And you're reminding me of, yes, we were developing as dance movement therapists in a time where embodiment was like, are you crazy? What are you doing? You're weird. What are you talking about? There, There's no space in therapy for that. What, what these people making people move like that? Now it's much more understood, but till this time, there's still a need to explain everything. And now there's a more, under, there's, there's a larger space of understanding for it. But at that point, it was, it was like, we were talking another language altogether, which is true, which is the truth about DMT. We speak another language, which I think this is, again, where my passion comes up. It's not only the Laban, it's not only Kustenberg. It's about how you take all of these different things and you put them together. And individuals come out with an understanding of a connection that goes deeper than just the system and the physicality of the body. We're talking about how movement creates patterns in space and space is contained in a place where it only comes to life when we attend to it. And I am integrating and resonating and relating to the world at large. And I, as a mover, am contained within a space that is moving in itself because the world is alive. It is not dead. It decays just like us. It's mirroring our own process. It's saying, by the way, there's soil over here and you can plant it and it's gonna give life. But then when you're done, now you need to let it sit and let it be because it can no longer give you life. Go over here. This, there's other space of you that's gonna grow. And we do that in our own growth as human beings. And my version of 20s is not the same as my version of 43. And the traumas that I had spoke to me when I was 20 in a different way is how they speak to me now that I'm 40s. And my perception and my worldview continues to shift because I'm intertwined and in flux, not only with my growth, but the growth of everything that's around me. I adapt. I also disintegrate with things that do not resonate. Right? I disintegrate because they are not resonating with me, but they're there in front of me. And, 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 and what is that doing? All of that is happening. When I spoke about the different, how we are based off the elements of the, the world, like fire, water, air, when we even use them through imagery in the body as dancement therapists, what we recollect from our clients is also very individual, but it's also very collective. Denying that we are embedded in a system that is informing us and we inform it and we're interconnected with it is, is, is denying that we are, yes, we are a collective. And, and it's important to bring our awareness to it because denying it is denying parts of ourselves. The transpersonal just brings me back with this whole idea that what is transpersonal? We transcend the personal. We transcend what we believe is what it should be or, or should not be. I think embodiment is infinite. That's it. I think we are infinite beings and, and our, our goal in mastery is not, not to define or to become, it's just to be. To be all parts of ourselves, integrating all of it. And also at the same time, seeing parts separate because 
that's how we grow. I want to know Kim. I want to know what Kim brings to the room. I want to know why I interact with Kim and our stories have so much synchronicity in it. There's a reason for that. It, it is allowed to occur because there is space for us to come together. That only happens because we are choosing to embody the moment. Yes, and I get very philosophical and I get very ethereal and I go all the way to those places. <laughs> I could be here forever. I like when my clients come to realize that they are nurtured by themselves and they are nurtured by more. I love resilience and I love adaptation, but I think it's not, I think that comes to a point where it does a disservice to us as humans because it's not about accommodating. It's about owning. It's about owning your presence in this world. It's about owning all parts of you. It's about owning even those parts of you that you dis disregard I could not speak to the way that I'm speaking it if I would have not owned to the parts of me that have been in my journey showing up and saying, hi, look at me, I'm right here. And I'm like, no, you're not there. Yes, hi. And then I can only speak to the way that I do and do the work that I do because of coming to that realization. And that does not happen in the blink of an eye. That is a process. It is a process. Humanness is a process. And, and to be is to allow that process to move with us, through us, about us, away from us, towards us. I think I'm in a happy place with this conversation. <laughs> what I've spoken to you today, it's hard for me to say it out loud. Trust me, it's, 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 it's hard to put myself out there and say, yes, I go to these places. Yes, I go to the transpersonal. I speak to experiences that are subtle, that are not in everybody's awareness. I speak to people sensing things that nobody else can sense, but they're there. I speak to spirit. I speak to the body. I speak to trauma. I, I speak to darkness. I speak to um, dis disintegration. I speak to those areas. I do not shy away from them. I never did. I just didn't show it up didn't show up. I didn't say it out loud to everyone. You said, you said the owning mm -hmm. that you, um, even since you began the transpersonal program and definitely since you were at Columbia mm -hmm. came to own these things so that you can speak to them, recognize them in others, mm -hmm. give opportunity for others to own not just adapt, not just survive, but own. That feels so beautiful. That feels so important. That feels so courageous. That feels so risky. Yeah. Yep. Growing is scary. My clients go through many phases. And, and when they come and arrive to the, to the stage of love, when they start to talk about relationships and talk about love. And I love when they say, why is love so complicated? I don't like it. It's so no. <laughs> And I'm like, mm-hmm. And I I speak to that and I listen to that and I sit with that and I say, yes, there is this, a part of love that is difficult, that is dark, that is that is that can be very much confusing. And it's because out of what we perceive and believe and do, our hearts are always embedded in it. And when they come into the room, 
to hold a space of love for those things that are difficult to see is very hard. It's a very scary thing to do. It's very scary to own things that you and your own experience are only sensing. It's also about love and pain. I appreciate that you're bringing in love. One of the things that struck me as you were talking was when you were talking about your trance states, Mm -hmm. they were experiences of, this is my word, but Mm -hmm. like delight, Mm -hmm. wonder, and expansion. And And play and exploration. Transpersonal. It was hard for people to love that with you. It's very true. It was hard to the point that I denied that part of me at one point. I needed to deny it because there was no space for it in the room. And I didn't want to acknowledge it because it was beautiful for me. But at the same time, it was so fearful because the perception of people started to shift. And I didn't know how to manage those different perceptions. But then when when you come to that, that process, because we have to, I, I mean, I speak to the part of decaying, disintegration, all that, that process of negating, that process of denial, that process of disowning um, brought about those other spaces of growth that needed to come forward in my psyche, which had to do with all of this lack of love for self, of owning my presence in the room, lack of owning my voice in the room and and come because it it does that you know it creates that mirror like okay I'm denying all of that but what is surfacing with not attending to that all of these other things come to play and if if I am a sounding board in space working with clients my sounding board needs to come full force into the room so I'm out of frequency I'm out of alignment I'm out of presence my felt sense is off because I'm feeling only parts of me there are parts of me that I'm just like no not going there <laughs> so because I felt people who, who held the space this is why I love Chris this is why I love Stacy and I love Sharla Sharla was there through this process she saw it she was my classmate she saw me enter in and out of these processes she saw me cry She saw me saying, I don't understand what's happening. I don't know what this is, but it doesn't feel bad. But the thing is that it was happening in front of them and and it was odd to them. So, and the fact that they are still around and they paid attention to my growth, the synchronicities of life kept saying, listen, address this, pay attention because it was repetitive there comes a point that there's something there knocking on your door so long that you have to decide whether you're going to open the door or not. And the transpersonal world gave me again, a space for me to rekindle and speak to that and connecting through nature and my understanding of my experiences with nature have a lot to do with that. My relationships with Pachamama, Gaia, how you, whatever you want to call it. My understanding of events that are happening around me before and after their occurrence and having that sensitivity. The speaking to the pain, 
that the collective brings in many sen moments and that you tap into it. You can't because that's how open and how resonant you are with what's going on in those spaces. So it needs to be there. It, it needs to be there. And, and we fight with it because we fight with our own self-love. We have moments where like, no, mm -mm, I don't want it. And we do, we fight with it. I had a client yesterday, we we're talking about that, the discomfort. How do we inhabit spaces of discomfort? Nobody wants to be in pain. Who wants to be constantly growing? I, I got used to this spot. Why do I have to change it? Oh, <laughs> no. It's like, yeah. And like, why do I have to deal now with my hair is going gray? Why is that part of the equation? So all those things, right? All that awareness. So good. Thank you so much. Was there anything else that you want to say or that feels important? Um, I guess I would speak to my dancement therapist colleagues and to new DMT students and to say that there are going to be moments that you will find this work to be scary and difficult and weird at times. But if there's enough people around you with love and sensitivity to contain you, and if you are willing to take a leap of faith to understand those levels of discomfort, you might find spaces and pieces of you to embody that will bring beautiful lights and shades of colors of yourself into the room that are really necessary for the work that comes ahead, that are necessary for the work that you will be doing in this world that we're in. And that might be very utopic or philosophical, but it is true. And that there is space for you in it. Take the space, own the space, be the space that you wanna hold because there will be people who will need it. Mm. That would be it. Thank you. I really love the way in which you speak people's name into the interview space. It's like an invoking of those who have held for you. And I just celebrate that as a practice that we all get to do is honor our mentors and our friends and those who have held us. So I just thank you for doing that in this interview. Thank you. Thank you for this space. Thank you to Amaryllis for joining me in this rich, expansive, challenging conversation which invites us to consider alternative ways of conceiving of health, illness, and collective thriving. Thank you to Josie Rothwell for the opening credits and Erin Kate Dunnick for the closing credits. Thank you to my listeners and my patrons. And thank you to the Embodied Education Institute of Chicago for supporting this podcast. <laughs>